brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? This hysteria... You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. We're here. The truth is out there. It's alive. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in, Hysteria Nation, to the podcast that doesn't write any anonymous, threatening, or vilifying letters. This is Hysteria 51. That's right. We take credit for every single one. <laughs> yeah, like, like you could read it right. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> the the anonymous part is what he was he was keen in on there. Um, we are broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago. I'm your host, John Goforth, and alongside is my co-host and the man voted in high school most likely to go to jail for a crime he didn't commit. Mr. Brent Hand. Uh, thanks, John. And uh, you got that backwards. It was most likely for a crime I did commit. That was back in my vigilante days, if you remember. Stealing catalytic <laughs> converters doesn't make you a vigilante. No, but destroying annoying robots might. Maybe we should find out, John. Maybe we should find out. Good idea. Kyle, get in here. Cheese, 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 cheese muffins. All right, all right, all right. For those of you new to the show, uh, the glorified speak and spell that Brent has been arguing with is conspiracy bot. Brent built him in his lab to help write and produce the show. Instead, he just drinks too much and annoys us. Apparently, he can't write either. Well, I I, I taught him the alphabet with a word zapper from Nolatari, so he's got room for improvement, I think is the best way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> that explains a lot, actually. Anyway, the other voice you heard is Kyle, Conspiracy Bot's pet project and lover of fattening carbohydrates. But in all honesty, who doesn't love some fattening carbohydrates? Too true. Yeah. Too true. I can literally hear you assholes getting fatter. Let's get back to more important things, like me. Did you have something you actually wanted to cover? Um, something to actually contribute to this show? John, thank you so much for asking. I do. <laughs> that was for all of you, both here in the room and listening at home, or in jail. You know where most of my listeners are. That, that's it. I, I'm going to turn them off for the rest of the fucking day. Wait, wait, wait. I have something else for you guys. Doing research for this week's show has inspired me. I want a pen pal. So let me get this straight. Researching a topic about secretive letters that led to incarceration, public humiliation, and likely someone's death, that, that inspired you to want a pen pal. Yep. That checks out. Makes sense. Yep. So I want to invite the listeners to write to me and I'll pick a favorite. That meat sack will be my new pen pal. That sounds like a terrible idea, but I'll bite. Let's talk logistics. How exactly will you get any letters? Easy. Send it to your house. Address it to Brand Hand Care of Conspiracy Bot. The street address is... Sorry about that, folks. Had to take a quick break to handle some business. And by business, he means duct taping the robot's mouth yeah, shut. Yeah, yeah. We, um, uh, we don't need any more stalkers. My trees are, are full on the outside of my house. <laughs> the ones near the windows, at least. <laughs> All joking aside, though, if you want to be Seabot's pen pal, you can write to him, just not at my home address. Send your note to Seabot uh, just in case he wants to pick you as his pen pal, I guess. You can uh, email him at Seabot at Hysteria51.com. God, that is probably stupid to give uh, him an email, but there you go. <laughs> Incoming, not outbound. Yeah. Uh, it, and again, Seabot, C-B-O-T at Hysteria51.com. This probably isn't one of our smarter things, kind of like having people uh, pay to sniff you. But hey, I'm, I'm, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I, what I can't decide is what's going to be worse. Whatever he says to the people that he decides to respond to, or 
law <laughs> the lawsuits that result for therein. <laughs> right? In my book, it's a win-win either way. That's not how that works. I, feel like <laughs> I, I see he got the duct tape off. I don't think the duct tape really works when he's just a speaker. Uh, I didn't really think that went through. Uh, but if you're if you're sending things, try to keep them civil. Don't try to get anyone killed because that is kind of like what we're talking about this week. It's the poison of a pen. At least that's what uh, they they chose to call it on a show that we're going to be talking about again this week. And we'll get to that in a second. John, they always say sticks and stones break your bones, but fucking words, they do more harm, it seems, than anything else in the world. It's true. Not in my experience. That probably tracks because, you know, he does carry a baseball bat. We should have never let him watch Negan on The Walking Dead. And and not only that, it, he's not exactly a poet. I mean, he's he's no Shakespeare with words, so it would make sense that he can cause more trouble physically than he can verbally. That's true. Anyway, we have a case of harassment, attempted murder, murder, uh, or at least death that they attribute to murder, and an unknown author orchestrating it all. I wish I could make thunder with my fingers. <laughs> Uh, and uh, for a change, you know, uh, that was my nickname in high school, Thunder with His Fingers. Thunder from His Fingers. Yeah, I remember the, <laughs> the, the, the boys track team always called you that for some reason. Uh, and for a change, though, we have quotes galore for the people involved uh, and the investigators since there has been a ton of people that have went over this case and, and conducted interviews. And uh, speaking of cover it and speaking of the TV show I was talking about, we dive back into the unsolved mysteries coffers this week john this one they covered in season seven uh that's season seven with robert stack not the farina years uh and they called it the poison pen murders which is a good name we couldn't steal it because it's already been used <laughs> get this though they did it because they themselves received a letter supposedly from the unknown author of the Circleville letters in December of 93. Literally their office, it read, forget Circleville, Ohio. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay. Signed, the Circleville writer. And we're, we're sure Seabot wasn't around in 1993, correct? No one fucks with the stack. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> Many feel the writer was never found because Robert Stack beat him to death with a large woolen topcoat. You know, normally I tell him to shut up, but I'll allow that one. I'm going to allow yep, it. Yep, yep. We, we like we like the stack on this show. <laughs> anyway, uh, the letter was just a follow up to many that had started the whole ton of shit that happened back in the 70s. John, tell us what happened uh, in the sleepy town. I don't even know what's sleepy, but that's just a way they always start these stories. The sleepy town of Circleville, Ohio. Ooh, I'll take it one further. The sleepy Hamlet. Ooh. Yeah. The sleepy yeah, moons over my hammy. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> back to fattening carbohydrates yeah. <laughs> okay kids uh yeah so so this week's topic the circleville letters the circleville writer it's also referred to as started in 1976 a, a journalist that later looked into the whole story named martin yant tells us of the kickoff of the whole mess now real quick he's going to be someone that we're gonna we get a lot of quotes from him because he did a really good uh investigation write-ups on this so Kudos to him, and we'll hear from him a lot throughout this whole episode. Yep. Good job, Martin. Yeah. Thanks for doing our work for us, Martin. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, if we haven't, if, if we've demonstrated anything over 200 plus episodes, it's that we prefer someone to do our work for us. Amen. All right. Quote Martin says The first letter was received by Mary Gillespie, a school bus driver, telling her that the letter writer was aware that she was having an affair with the superintendent of schools and that it had better stop. Man, I can't believe she fell for it. I was just grasping at straws. And I'm back to <laughs> telling him to shut up. <laughs> just shut up, dude. <laughs> now, now, um, no good accusatory letter is worth a shit without threats. That's just asshole 101, John. That's just... It it's true. It's true. It's easy. So so yeah. it went on to say, I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. I'll be I'll fucking kill you. Please, please believe me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now the envelope was postmarked Columbus, Ohio, which is about thirty miles away from Circleville. 
Uh, there was no return address, no signature inside, and no way to tell who had sent it. Now, remember, this was 1976. 30 miles might as well have been a lifetime away. No, yeah, I mean, people were still far. using cart and buggy right, uh, right. at this point. Like, you started the journey. By the time you get there, you're a whole different group, another generation. Yeah, I mean, you ate a, people, a couple people along the way. Yeah. Remember yeah. they used to call it the Columbus Trail? <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> About a week later, Mary received another letter with a similar tone. Um, but it, she made a she made a decision here uh, to keep them to herself. So it was alleging an affair, and she did not share it with her husband. Well, I mean, who hasn't gotten a uh, I'm going to tell your wife you're having or your husband I'm having an affair letters? I mean, daily, right? Uh, I I haven't, Brent. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Remember when all those. Uh, online dating things went down i forget what they were called every every person who had bought a uh uh email list that wasn't even on those sites were sending out shit like we know you were on there we're gonna tell your oh just you're talking about the cheating websites that uh like like uh uh somebody was it wikileaks was it wikileaks got the list of of Somebody like WikiLeaks. I don't know who. Well, they were just sending shit out to everyone with an email address. We know you're on there just in case, trying to get people to like fucking pay them money and stuff like that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This the scam, the scams. But but in all actuality, like the user list of did get one of those yeah. big ones went went out wide, right? Uh, Ashley Madison, who offered to uh, advertise on our show, we said thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. That is a fact. Um, so. Back to uh, the story at hand. Mary did not share these letters with her husband. However, her husband, named Ron, received a letter himself um, uh, a few days or a week later. And according to Martin Yant, this letter addressed to Ron Gillespie told him that if he didn't do something to stop this affair, that his life was undoubtedly in danger. Oh, shit. Yeah, man, and she's not alone. Now we're telling this no. was kind of like the brunt of it because this was, as you'll see here soon, uh, why this was such an important case. But many people receive letters, and the tie that binds is they were very sexually explicit. Well, the tie that binds is they were all from the same person. Handwriting, you know, show that they were the same and stuff. But uh, sexually explicit and contained what they called um, intimate secrets. No one should know. This person. Uh, was the the gossiping ninny around town that knew everything and was just sending out letters left and right. Did anyone look into Miss Cleo? What was she doing at that time? (laughs) Do we know? Write me now. (laughs) She's just going to town. She was actually actually working on her voodoo doll collection. Uh, I get it. I got one of those. Of course you do. Actually, in, in all actuality, she was probably auditioning for off-Broadway plays at that yeah. point. <laughs> Hi, didn't my they name fi- is didn't we find Carol? out later that she was an actress? Yeah, like yeah. I can't yeah. believe we found out that she wasn't on the up and up. Yeah, I know. Well, it's I shocking. can't trust my nine hundred number gypsies and voodoo practitioners. Just who can I trust? I, I, I mean, what is this world coming to? Yeah. Um, no, no, so Brent, no, back uh, to the that, Circleville letters. Yeah, the Circleville letters. The Gillespies received more letters. Yeah, I didn't just stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the next letter read, in part, Gillespie, you have had two weeks and done nothing. Make her admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast broadcast it on CBS, posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out. Why CBS? Like, why not the other channels? (laughs) I just... Because everyone knows CBS. The Circleville writer was actually a, a, a huge uh, Matlock fan, and right. <laughs> Perry Mason. I don't know what would be what would be appropriate. If the Perry Mason would be too early, Matlock would be too late. What was on in the seventies? I don't know. Back in seventy six, Cronkite Walter Cronkite was the anchor. So I mean, he's gonna call up his old buddy Walt. Uh, oh Wally. Oh, that makes sense. So the Circleville writer sitting there in Circleville, Ohio, saying, "Huh." Who could who who would carry the story for me if I needed to let the world know that this school bus driver was having an affair with the superintendent? I'll tell you who that Walter fucking Cronkite. Maybe it That's was right. Walter Cronkite. Did anyone look? Where was he in nineteen? What was he doing? Ooh, ooh. Walter. Real quick question: Why do you spend all your free time in Columbus, Ohio, mailing stuff? Don't you fucking worry about it. That was his real voice. A lot of people don't know. That was, that. Don't you fucking <laughs> worry about it. That's what Cronkite actually sounded like. Not everyone hears my real voice, but 
I gotta go on the news tonight. And I'm gonna be out mailing some things as soon as John I F. Kennedy is dead. <coughs> Excuse me. Senselessly murdered in the heartland. There will be a new president of the United States. Who the fuck is that? Is that Dan Rather? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like when uh who was the one that had the real Tom Brokaw? I'm Tom Brokaw. You know, and then he gets off him. Thanks, guys. <laughs> My voice was cut out. I'm real glad to be done with this. <laughs> Walter slash Tom, why do you sound like a weird version of Sideshow? Bob? They all grew up together. I don't know if you know that or not. That's why they sound so similar. In the same house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have gotten far astray from the story, Brent. You can never get far astray if you, Walter Cronkite is your sounding post. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so, so uh, regardless of Walter Cronkite's involvement, there were some other folks involved. Uh, Mary and Ron told three people about the letters. Ron's sister, her husband Paul Freshour, and Paul's sister. Yeah. So I, we're, I'm, I'm taking this slowly because there, there, there winds up being a lot of characters in this, uh, in this story. So she tells them this though because she thinks she knows who's sending him. She's got a pretty good idea in her head who's doing him. She believed that the writer was another school bus driver named David Longberry because it is a cutthroat business. You know what I'm talking about? You know. <laughs> She, she, they got to stop at every railroad track, pick up every kid. Man, it's such a, it's a job. I'm not <laughs> downplaying it. I'm sure it actually is. And in those towns, there's only so many of them. It's probably a coveted position. I mean, enough so that you engage in, uh, in, in harassment and, and potential murder. Shit, I've killed for less. <laughs> <laughs> Cats don't count. Yeah, well. So Mary, though, she believed that David was angry over a past rejection that, you know, he'd tried to bang her and she's like, no, thank you. And he'd taken to writing the letters to express his frustration. So she's got a plan. This cat named Paul Freshour. So this is Ron, uh, Ron Gillespie's brother-in-law. He said, here's a quote. We thought we'd scare the guy uh, who they thought was the writer, you know, David. So we sent him four or five letters only. There was no violence in them or anything, just that we knew who he was and what he was doing, and we sent him the letters. I don't know. I, listen, listen, I, I am not, uh, uh, going back to our original theme of vigilantism, I am not exactly a vigilante, but I think if, if I honestly believed that the person that was threatening uh, physical harm, or, well, I guess they hadn't threatened physical harm yet, had they? No, the person no, that was threatening my family they said they didn't uh, threaten in one way, shape, or form. The person who would not, I would, I would not go. Okay, this person is threatening my wife and myself. Oh no, he had he had made veiled attempts. I'm sorry, I th- the Circleville writer had bad right. things are going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this person who had who had uh, threatened, whether it's physically or not, threatened my family. I don't think my next reaction is to write them a sternly worded letter back. <laughs> dearest asshat <laughs> if you write three or four more of these we're, we're gonna have problems i hope this letter finds you unwell Ooh, unwell the Ooh, burn. burn i hope this letter finds you unwell <laughs> shut up walter <laughs> news at 11 it seemed to work because they stopped for a bit it seems though then the guy the girl we don't know whoever switched uh, the way that they were going about it a little bit because indecent signs began to circulate around Circleville. Like like signs, like like placards on the side yeah, of the just, road we signs. Should, you'd see like, you know, vote for so-and-so, but or like we buy houses with a name script yeah, or yeah, a yeah. number scribbling, you know. Free so, dirt. Yeah. So a lot of these signs accused Gordon Massey of having a sexual relationship with Ron and Mary's 12-year-old daughter. So Gordon Massey's another name we're throwing at you, and then Ron and Mary had a 12-year-old. So they're having so sex. that I guess we haven't been clear about that. Let's let's back up for a second. When we originally were talking about infidelity in these letters, the accusation was that the superintendent of schools, who is Gordon Massey, that's the name that we just said, uh, was was the uh, was the person um, engaging in it with Mary. Yeah. Now they're saying also the 12 year old daughter is involved. This is outside of the shit that he's sending to other people. We're just focusing on this one family. Then on August 19th of 1977, Ron gets a phone call, and this is the turning point. 
Nobody then or still to this day knows who was on the other end. I don't know why they didn't they didn't reverse the phone, you know, to find out what happened. Whoever called him pissed Ron off. Yeah, you can. The supposition here is that at least one person knew who was on the other end. Ron. Right. And he alluded to it was the Circleville person, the, the, the writer. So after hanging up the phone, he grabs his pistol and took off in his car. He grabbed his phone. And here's a quote. They said he told his children he was going out to confront the letter writer. He took his weapon. He did not seem to be drunk, said goodbye to his children and went out. Now, that. Yeah. I'm so apparently he even he kissed his daughter on the forehead like there was interaction. Yeah. Within a short distance at an intersection that he knew very well, because he's through there all the time, he lost control of his vehicle, hit a tree, and was killed. Somewhere in between leaving the house, though, and hitting the tree, his gun had fired one shot. There was never any explanation for when or how or at whom the gun had been fired at. Fucking A. So the police, of course, they're going to do an investigation on this. They talked to one suspect, and then they ruled uh, Ron Gillespie's death as an accident. And, of course, the Circleville letter, or not letter, but the Circleville residents received anonymous letters accusing the sheriff of a cover-up. That's funny. The dude is out trying to kill this guy, and then he dies, and the Circleville guy's like, man, they're not doing a very good job of this at all. <laughs> you need to investigate that shit more. Uh, another another thing that's worth noting is in the in one of the police reports, it says that he had a blood alcohol level 0.16, which was uh, around one and a half times the legal limit, uh, which his family found really odd because they, they all said the same thing. He wasn't a big drinker and and certainly was not drunk when he left the house. Yeah, they said his children said he hadn't had a drink that day, period, full stop. They were with him. So the phone rings. He argues with someone. People can hear him arguing. He gets very angry, kisses his daughter on the forehead, says goodbye to the family, has his gun with him, and within minutes is dead from a car accident, and somewhere in the intervening time, fired off a single round in, in, at at or who we don't know. So between uh, with this happening and then Paul Freshour, who was uh, Ron's brother-in-law, had talked to the sheriff, and then when the sheriff came out and gave his official statement... Paul says the sheriff changed his story. His quote is, the sheriff agreed with me that there was foul play. And then when I contacted him again, he changed his attitude completely. Then he was telling me that it wasn't foul play and the suspect had passed a polygraph test, the the person they were talking to. And, you know, they just blamed it on him being drunk, which the family said there's no way he wasn't a drinker. And especially that day we were with him. He wasn't fucking drinking. And not to add further complexity to the story, but the whole backdrop of this when we're talking about the sheriff, according to Fresh Hour, the sheriff was up for some sort of national sheriff award mm-hmm. or, or national sheriff position. And the only way he could get this national, like, like, like the National Association for Sheriffs, I don't know, whatever it's called. The only way he could get this is if the crime rate was pretty low in his area. Yeah. So Fresh Hour alleges that the sheriff was doing a lot of this kind of cover-up stuff because if this guy died as a drunk driver, that doesn't go against his crime record. If he died as a result of some sort of nefarious foul play, it does. Unlike the non-nefarious foul play that we... Shenanigans. That's true. Shenanigans. That's just, weird. That's just the weird shit we're into. Um, but no, seriously, when you... But when every time the sheriff comes up in this story, uh, at least Paul Fresh Hour would have you keep in mind... That he might have ulterior motives in the decisions he makes and what he says and right. does. Which, you know, the human condition. Who knows? Yeah. We got one man dead, though. He's already gone, and the letters keep coming. His wife is still alive, and the superintendent of the schools, they do eventually admit to having a relationship. But get this shit. Said it began after the letters were sent. Ah, great idea. Uh, let's bone just to make sure no one's a liar. You know, that's what Mary said. Now, you can there are there are plenty of quotes from um, from uh, Mary's sister in law, Mm -hmm. Karen, from other friends of Mary. 
and from other folks that have just that just witnessed it that said that this this affair was going on for a long time. Right now, I'm just saying she said, yeah, they, well, she said that. But she, they, they they used to meet like they, at one point they were going to go to Florida and he was going to fly down. They she was they fucking would, uh, this dude. That's why these letters were sent. Period. You don't go period, well. Full stop. These letters accusing me of this ruined my life and killed my husband. I better go fuck this man. Yeah, I, maybe you exactly, do. I don't like, want to kink shame somebody, but hey, you know, go to town. Well, we, 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 it, well, exactly, and I, I mean, I guess we can never confirm anything one hundred percent. But I fully believe that I, yeah. in, I fully believe that the reason this all started was in a, the affair that was happening. Well, it did come out, and guess what? She kept her job driving a school bus because people just didn't care, and she'd already lost her husband at that time. So, beginning in nineteen eighty three, the letter writer began putting signs along her bus route, and again at this time. Mary's daughter was being targeted, saying horrible things about her. Think about this. I mean, we aren't we aren't into the uh, half of the story yet, and we're already seven years into the story. Yeah, this is going seven on. years. So get this shit. According to Yant, the the investigator, Mary finally had had enough. Finally, I mean, sure, my husband's dead and all this shit, but now I'm done. Now, okay. so. Uh, quote, she ripped the sign down is what she, she, she said. pulled the bus yeah. over, pulled the bus over. There was a sign. It was going to rip it out of the ground. And guess what? Behind the sign was a box and a string and another post. Long story short, there was a booby trap and it was set so that if she grabbed the thing, the sign, a gun would have shot and killed her. And it just so happened that it didn't go off because she didn't do it the way it was planned. Yeah. They said that she, they, you know, maybe. I don't know what direction it was set up, but she pulled the sign left and she she would have needed to pull it right yeah, in order for the yeah. gun to fire. And investigators discovered that someone had tried to rub the serial number off the weapon. But get this. When lab tests were able to read it accurately, guess who it belonged to? Mary's brother-in-law, Paul Freshauer. Spoiler. Paul denied any involvement. <laughs> And this story is Wait, crazy. can we go back to the booby trap for one second? Yeah. Does that sound have you is there anything else that sounds more like <laughs> Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner um uh cartoon than that? Well, she did say there was a pile of bird seed at the bottom of it too. So <laughs> but with the, that, that's what the sign said, bird seed here. The sign said bird seed here. Well, she assumed it was a target daughter. All it said was me me on there, so she put two and two together. Oh, I have news to report. This. <laughs> okay, it's uh, so like we said though. Uh, Paul denied any involvement. Here's a quote from him. He said, "I admitted the gun was mine, but I hadn't seen it in a long time. Had no reason to check on it or anything, and I don't know when it'd come up missing. I really don't know what happened to it. And I told them that, and that's the truth, and that's how it was. And so, so the the sheriff said, "Fine, let's uh uh what." Let's let's just go look for the gun at your house. And so Paul agreed mm-hmm. and they went to the house and the gun was gone, obviously. Because now, if you're not use custody. your gun all the time or something like that, you might not realize if something's gone. I know that sounds See, way more nefarious than than it has to. But that's just the way things go. Let's think about I mean, your do baseball you check on bat. all your possessions that are inside of boxes. I'm just saying, think if you had like a baseball bat and someone beat 100 percent, you know, or something like that. Then on February 25th of 83, the good old sheriff, his name, by the way, is Dwight Radcliffe. He asked Paul to take a handwriting test, and Paul agreed. And this is a big step in this case or thing. Uh, Paul said he would give me an actual letter and ask me to maybe to do the same envelope part just as near as I could to the envelope. That's what he said. And then on some, he would take the actual letter out and have me do them as near as I could on the letters. And I did them because I knew I wasn't responsible for the letters. He was just kind of copying them, I guess, is what he was doing. And we go back to journalist Martin Yant. He said that was not the correct way to conduct handwriting analysis. That's actually, if you guys know, handwriting analysis is a science that people have looked into now. How well it works is very much up for debate. And I kind of went down a rabbit hole there. Dubious at best. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You you went down a further rabbit hole than I have, but I've read a little bit about it. When done well, it's like a provable science type of thing, but it's often not done well. I tell you what, yes, and it's it's going to the way of the polygraph almost because there's just people grasp at the wrong things right. is the problem, and it can be faked, 
Um, and so you, you, it's it's a fallible system, I guess, is the easiest. Well, it's way. like when you dot your eyes and you put the heart over it. Right. I could put a heart yeah. over my eyes, or to a frowny face whenever I'm sending you stuff. It just depends, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. True. That's uh, so. Here's the ant. He said that's not the proper way to test to see if someone has a certain writing style, because if they're copying from a letter, they're going to try to emulate the style. The experts said that testing was improper, which makes sense. Try to copy this. I copied it. Look, it looks just like it. <laughs> what? So they didn't really say that these letters were written by. It's amazing them. how similar these. Yeah, are. they ended up just saying, "Well, they look a lot alike." I guess they could have been written by him because they had to be able to say that because he'd copied them. They also searched his place, collected evidence, and boom, they charged him with attempted murder. You know what's interesting about Paul is is you know his behavior. Number one, boy, he made it easy for them to prosecute him, but also it. The way in which he made it easy for them to prosecute him makes him feel like when you're reading the story, more innocent. Yeah, he's like, well, why am I going to fight with you on this? Like, okay, I'll write it. I didn't do it. Exactly. You want to come in and look around? Have at it. There's nothing here. It's like, you want me to put my hand hand in blood? Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah why not? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Paul said... He called in the prosecutor and they told uh, the prosecutor that it was my writing on the booby trap and I was under arrest for attempted murder and placed on a $50,000 cash bond. Boom. They got the guy. Maybe not. So we're going to go to break real quick. And when we come back, we're going to find out what happened to Paul. That's coming up after the break on Hysteria 51. Old school. Nation, what difficulties did you have with learning a new language in school or whenever you did it? Did you do it through textbooks or did you try to use some weird online thing? I know I took two years in high school and two years in college and I knew nothing. And that's because I wasn't using something like what we have been blessed to have as a longtime sponsor and we use it. Rosetta Stone, they're the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop or as an app. And the reason why I enjoy doing it, it immerses you in the language you want to learn instead of just being silly drills and a class you can sleep through. (laughs) I definitely use it. I I think it's really cool how they have the speech recognition program on there. It gives you the feedback on the pronunciation. Are you making fun of me because I can never do that? That's what you're getting at right now. (laughs) It's like, what are you trying to do? Do it right. (laughs) Uh, but it is really cool. They've got all kinds of lessons. You can do it uh, offline. You don't even have to be online for it. That is great because it's right there in your pocket or at your home and you can do it. You got 15 minutes. Let's go to town. Let's do it. You know, and mm-hmm. it's amazing value. Lifetime membership has all 25 languages available for any trips. You need language in life. You need to brush up on stuff. Maybe you just met a girl or a guy or a non-binary and they're from uh, somewhere else. Somewhere, you know, who knows? Well, if they're in the one of the 25, Rosetta's going to work for you. And <laughs> you get lifetime access to all of that. And there is a 50% offer. So it is a steal. So don't put off learning language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Hysteria 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for that 50% off that I just told you about. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, a today. Walter Cronkite, Walter, Walter Cronkite. So John, that brings us to Paul's trial. Not nearly as good as Paul's boutique. That's true. <laughs> that is, I didn't peg him for a Beastie fan. That is one of my favorite albums. Is it I'm really? glad he said that. No shit. Yeah. I love that album. It, you know, the coolest thing about that album is that it exists. And what I mean by that is I, I'm anyone who's into Beastie Boys or have read about it all. You you know, that there's so much sampling in that album that like they couldn't make it today. They'd get their pantsuit right, off. Right. And it's also if you're really into them, it's called bestiality. If you love them, just so you I, that's not true. That is a bold just, face. If lie. people ask you, just tell them you're really into bestiality. OK, on October 24th of 1983, <laughs> Paul Freshour went on trial for the attempted murder of his sister-in-law. Mary Gillespie. But get this, John and listeners, he wasn't charged with writing the threatening letters, but they were used as evidence against him. That's fucking crazy. They couldn't even prove that he wrote them, but they still use them against him. He what like I it, it boggles my mind. I mean, like you don't 
like the big thing in, in, in court cases is what evidence is allowed into discovery. And, uh, my pedestrian understanding of it is, is one of the ways they, they decide whether it's allowed into discovery is its merit in the case that's being prosecuted. And if, if the person didn't do it, if they're not being charged with it, then like, it's, oh man, I, that is, it's maybe there's some sort of legal precedent that we don't understand, but it seems batshit to me. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit more to it though. A handwriting expert said it was in his opinion that the writing on the envelopes, documents, postcards was made by the same person, Paul, because he had copied them. And he's thinking, of course I try. Of course it does. I tried to make it look like that. That's what they asked me to do. Ah, shit. And even Paul's boss (laughs) testified that Paul hadn't gone to work the day the booby trap was found. Now, a lot of that sounds like it's adding up against Paul, and it is. But then we have the other side, the flip of it is Paul had an alibi for almost the entire day, including the time that the shit would have happened, but he never took the stand in his own defense. Now, that's something you see a lot. Many lawyers don't want you to do the stand, take it, because if you get you, people can let emotions take over and that can look good or bad. And really, that's what you're going for in a jury trial, which is what this was, was the feeling of the jury. I don't always, I don't know the right answer to that. Sometimes people should do it. Sometimes they shouldn't. Um, That goes on a case-by-case basis. What happened was um, the lawyer interviewed Paul as if which they all understand. You've all seen that in shows. This is what you're going to hear. And then they just go to town on him. Yeah. And exactly. And so we actually have tape of that. Uh, Seabot, if you'll play that quickly. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Zima. That's that 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 is that is Paul Freshour yeah, uh, admitting. If, if you're worried, just read the court stenographer notes on that. You'll notice that that is true 100 percent 100 percent of the time. So yeah, yeah. he has gone on to say, though, it was a decision he would regret for the rest of his life because you guessed it. If you thought. Paul was found guilty of attempted fucking murder, and he said the verdict was completely unexpected, and if you are innocent, I can kind of feel that that is how you would feel uh, being blown away by finding someone say, yeah, you did this. He said, I can't blame the jury because the jury didn't hear all the evidence, but I just couldn't believe it. I was really in shock. Now, later, not now, we're going to get into some of the evidence that they missed, important pieces. Uh, but he got seven to 25 years. That's the max sentence. Weird range, seven to 25. That just means that after seven years, he was eligible for parole. And right. after 25 years, they had to let him out if you know he hadn't made parole. Anyway, Paul's away. Murderer caught. Letter writer caught. Nothing to worry about. Well, guess what? The fucking letters don't stop. They just keep pouring in more and more letters. Uh, the investigator, Yant, said... They were being received all over the large area of central Ohio, so a lot of people couldn't understand how Paul, fresh hour, in jail, could be mailing out all these letters from prison. How the hell do you get letters out of prison like that? Well, you don't. They talk to the warden. So the warden's like, you don't. And they're like, well, it's happening. He goes, okay, fuck you. I'll put him in solitary confinement where he gets nothing. They put him in solitary confinement, and the letters keep fucking coming. And not only do the letters keep coming, but... Well, I mean, according to according to at least according to Paul, um, who he did some research on his own behalf, uh, you know, after the fact and actually asked the FBI to get involved. It is said that almost every person in Circleville, Ohio, at one point received a letter or two. Yeah. Like that's how widespread these letters every were. Every single one of um, them postmarked from Columbus, even though Paul was imprisoned across the state in Lima. Martin Yant said that the warden became so convinced that Paul was not writing the letters because he said Quote, full-scale investigations were conducted twice, possibly three times, during which Paul Freshour was put into isolation, and the warden of the prison then wrote letters to Paul's wife saying that as far as he was concerned, it was impossible for Paul to be writing these letters and sending them from prison. Everything you get in and sent out letter-wise in prison is read. There's no, you know. And, and, and logged. Mm-hmm. And, like, they, they knew the exact amount of mail that he had sent outbound. Yeah, the, the, the warden actually said it sounded to him like the wrong man was in prison. And according to the warden, and by all accounts, he was a model prisoner. And he was for seven fucking years until the first time he was eligible for parole. And he was denied because they said he's still writing letters. 
letters that the warden even said he's not fucking writing them. I mean, the the story just gets worse for this guy. Think about it. Um, uh, uh, You've wasted seven years of your life in prison. You're going to have to sit in here longer because you keep writing these damn letters. Right. I mean, like, think about the circular logic there. Like, I've been in solitary. You literally know I can't have written those letters. Well, speaking of circular, guess who gets a fucking letter now? Paul. It read, Yeah. Now, when are you going to believe you aren't going to get out of there? I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? Question mark. P.S. Did you check out Kronk? Yeah. (laughs) So this at time, luckily, Martin Yant, the investigator, the journalist, he stepped in and reviewed the sheriff's investigative files, and he uncovered evidence never mentioned in the trial. Uh, Here's a quote from him. Mary Gillespie told the sheriff one of the other bus drivers told her that she'd been driving the same road about 20 minutes before Mary found that booby trap at the exact site. And when she went by the very same intersection, there was a yellow El Camino parked there. A large man with sandy hair was standing there, and when he saw her come, he turned around and acted like he was going to the bathroom or something, but seemed to also be avoiding any kind of identification. The description of the individual does not fit Paul Freshour at all. But you know who it does fit? Walter fucking Cronkite. Oh, wait, that's not true. Bitch. And we all said Paul had a very solid alibi for that whole time. There was zero zero attempt to follow up at all on that lead and if they had then now this is all the quote and if they had as i say they would have found that another possible suspect in this case had a brother who had an el camino meaning there they know probably or there's other people that this could have been right one of the other suspects one of the other people they think could be responsible for the circleville letters has a relative who drives a yellow of course it's 1976 names three people that don't have an El Camino in that town. (laughs) Yellow, you know. What the fuck, though, John? All joking aside, that is some horse shit. And why is it that it seems like, and this is not cop bashing, this is just me looking into some of these stories, real stories, not TV stuff, real stuff, especially like the the thing that's coming into mind is like the West Memphis 3. When someone investigating gets something in their mind, that's what happened, evidence be damned. Well, yeah, not only that, but when you have ulterior motives, like the sheriff wanting it to happen, the sheriff working with the prosecutor to make it happen. Also, it gets even more convoluted because we're talking about a number of crimes over a series of years. Yeah. Let's just say, I don't believe this, but let's just say that the original letters were by Paul Freshout. Mm -hmm. And let's also say that even something nefarious took place and Paul was involved the night that the uh, husband died. I, I again don't believe it, but let's just say that happened. That doesn't mean that someone else didn't pick up the mantle and copycat the letters. Right. That doesn't mean that someone else didn't put up those signs and set up the pistol for Mary to discover. Right. Like the, the, this isn't necessarily one person orchestrating thousands of letters over dozens of years. Mm-hmm. It could be an isolated incident that that kind of took on a life of its own. I mean, that's a possibility too. Yeah. Uh, in May of '94. Fresh Hour was granted parole after serving 10 years in prison, and he maintained his innocence the entire time he was incarcerated and continued to uh, until the day he died. He died in 2012 at age 70, Uh, and he he told Unsolved Mysteries, he was on that old uh, episode, he said, I like to see someone really look into the case and the letters, reopen the letter part of it, and get in and find out who wrote the letters. I'd also like to see someone look into my former brother-in-law's death. Look, that's not my family anymore. That's my past. I'm not even going to look back at it. I've got a new family and a new future, but I would still like to see someone look at that incident real close and the letters. I mean, you got to kind of move on. We make a lot of jokes around the the story today, but I... I, uh, Someone died and and another person lost years of their life. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah, sad. it is very sad. I, you know, I assuming that we're correct, I and mean, we we haven't gotten to our final disposition of the whole story. But assuming we're correct, and that in that we, I think we both don't think that Paul was the the ultimate uh, mastermind behind uh, uh, the circle of the letters. It, it is very sad that he wound up um, uh, paying the price. Right. Uh, and then we kind of told you about this earlier in, in 93, the warning to the show, uh, Unsolved Mysteries, was the last known uh, circle of a letter to, from the original uh, official writer. 
that's the bulk of the story. There's a lot more to it. That's the, you know, that's the horrible, but the, there was a lot of letters and a lot of people's lives that were, were hurt by these. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk some of the crazy shit that is tied to the story with the, the outliers in it. That's coming up next on Hysteria 51. <laughs> So there's some crazy shit around this. One of the things that we kind of glossed over, I said this in the beginning, but whoever the writer was, they knew a hell of a lot about that town and its its little intimate secrets. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. Because, what, I mean, that's that's the thing. There were letters. We, we didn't cover most of the letters. Yeah, we, can, right? I mean, we like covered the. Said, there's just so many letters. And you can go online if this is something that you're really interested in. Uh, there are... Uh, obviously not all the letters are released some people didn't even come forward some people kept them some people destroyed them when they got them a lot of letters that you can find online it has a very weird way of writing it it looks like someone wrote it so it's not their handwriting they're like mm-hmm. it's like if you draw every letter and make it look weird and they're tall and, and some and, thin and yeah and then also there was plenty that were typed yeah there's different yeah you're 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 right you know it's just uh um but they all came from Columbus, you know, so. Well, and, you know, the interesting thing about this is we're not talking about um, we're not talking about the need to do like futuristic DNA analysis that wasn't available. Like we're talking like, you know, so when they were typewritten, what type of typewriter was that? I mean, this is like this is like crime solving in the 50s. Right. You know? right. Uh, other things, you know, we, we've kind of alluded to some of the little clues, some of the little things that came out in the case. Mary Gillespie and Gordon Massey were indeed having an affair <laughs> after the fact. Yeah, right. I mean, they were they were they were boning, but they said after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, in fact, they were known to meet at a bar that was owned by one of Massey's buddies. There was a bar that was halfway between Massey's home tr- hometown in Circleville. And um, the, right uh, between was, the half known to halfway meet. between there and the post office in Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> coincidence Uh-oh. yeah but uh no and, and in fact there was even a story that one night um mary had been on her way to that bar and ran out of gas and had to call her husband to come get her i'm out here doing uh, uh i'm trying to have a tupperware party what <laughs> that was the thing of this just Saturday. come get me remember tupperware parties now it's now their women have like i don't know like sex toy parties and shit the no, well, they're, they're having no parties well, right now, but uh, they, they, what it's, it's all the multi-level marketing stuff they, they do through Facebook instead. Now, instead of doing the, Hey, make everybody get together for a, you know, an Avon party or a Tupperware party. It's, um, Hey, if you follow me on, on Twitter or Facebook, uh, you can hear about this wonderful makeup that I, uh, use that makes me look 10 years younger and this awesome supplement drink that I drink that makes right. me lose 10 pounds a week. Yes. Yes. And if you're interested in pyramid schemes, that's Seabot at hysteria 51. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, uh, the letter writer also made some accusations. He were, he accused Roger Klein. Now Roger Klein was the prosecutor of Paul. He accused Klein of getting a school teacher preggers and trying to have her killed to cover it up. So that was said, and an investigation carried out by an Ohio TV show uh, turned up that a local family confirmed the rumors that the prosecutor, Roger Klein, had gotten a schoolteacher pregnant. Uh, Klein was investigated but eventually cleared, and he became an appellate judge before retiring in 2013. Wow, this town's got a lot of little uh, secrets. Now, again, we can't say that he tried to have her killed, but damn. They accused the county coroner, Dr. Ray Carroll, that they, uh, I'm saying they, the the writer or writers, whoever they are, of being a better ass. And then later he was charged with 12 counts of gross immorality, sex crimes, corruption of a minor, pornography, obscenity, and indecent exposure in December of 93. That came to be true. How does he know all, or they, or whatever? How do they know all this stuff? Did anyone look into the Catholic priest? <laughs> like, in, I, like in people what? coming in and giving their uh, like, oh, the yeah. confessions, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, it's it's crazy the shit you hear uh, kids talking about when you're driving school right? buses. Well, no shit, right? Also, remember David <laughs> Longberry, the man who Mary assumed was the writer. She had, he had tried to bone her, and she's like, no, and all that. Yeah. Stuff. The, the speaking of school uh, bus drivers, well, he forcibly raped an 11 year old girl in 1999, went on the run, and is now dead. So yay for that part of it, and oh my god for the rest. What the fuck? I'm in per capita. How many lunatics were there in Circle? Hill? We should have had the Ohio podcast on for this. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Just ask them like, what the hell's going on uh, in your little your little Hamlet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Paul, he did for a while. He had set up his own website about getting uh, after he got p- paroled and. Uh, I, there's a PDF I'm going to put in the show notes where you can find all the information that he had from his website. It's in, it's really intriguing. He includes the letters that he wrote to the mm-hmm. FBI, um, kind of pointing at the evidence that obviously he isn't he isn't uh, guilty. But you know, but the tone of the things that he writes aren't so much just. I mean, it's like, yes, obviously I'm not guilty, but I want you to look into this because we need to figure right. this out. Like, like not only he's me, he's still go team on figuring out who is right. guilty. And then after he's out, he's like, we need to figure out what happened. Yeah. Uh, and he accused Sheriff Radcliffe. He's the one who he had said that he wanted to become the president of the National Sheriff's Association. So he swept this under the rug. True or not, if you, you know, you can say that or not, Radcliffe did conduct a shitty and shoddy investigation. He just didn't right. follow up. And the, when Yant was looking into it, he just found the, the big one was the El Camino. But there was other things. He just didn't follow up with anything. And like we said, also the letter to Unsolved Mysteries, uh, it seemed protective of the sheriff. There's more to it. There was a, while the letter sent to Paul while he was in prison appeared to hint that the writer was close to the sheriff or the police. So maybe. Well, the big question is, before I say that, is who was it? Those are the the questions. And one of them that you kind of alluded to, that's the big one, is the theory that it was multiple people, not just one person. Uh, David Longberry at first, and then uh, Karen Freshour following her divorce from Paul, people said, maybe, that she was doing it. Other theories say that the writer was the man in yellow uh at the out with the or i'm sorry the man with the man and when with the yellow hat who had the monkey in man town. with the yellow hat no, the man with the yellow el camino or maybe his brother that they were talking about uh maybe it was the police then took over on some of the shit i don't know john what do you think where do yours your head fall in this so i don't have like a uh here is exactly what i think right, transpired right. like line by line but here here are a few thoughts First, I think that Paul Freshour, to a large extent, was not guilty. Yeah. Uh, I certainly don't think he was guilty of putting the gun in the box. Um, and, and so what he went to jail for. Whether he was in some way involved with letters at some point, I can't say for certain. Obviously, these are all weird people. Um, I don't think he was. I think he was kind of an innocent bystander in a lot of this. They say that, that his, his ex-wife, Karen, was very combative and that she was difficult to deal with and not not... Not fun. What? Not fun times. What? Karen yeah. was hard to handle. <laughs> what did she, she want? The, the, OG the police manager? Bring <laughs> me the manager. Bring me. <laughs> uh, I'm the judge. So, Bring me the judge manager then. Ju- the judge manager. Um, I, so, I, you know, I, I don't know. I She seems she seems like a suspicious character in this story. Um, you know, ultimately, I think I think there were copycat letters going on. I don't think there was one person who over the course of two decades wrote thousands of letters and, and, you know, was like this ultimate criminal mastermind. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Mary was having an affair. It was probably, it probably started with letters from that other, uh, I forget what was his name? The other school bus yeah, driver, long, um, uh, Longberry, Longberry. And, and he was probably the one threatening and it was probably Longberry that, that um, got in the scuffle the husband, and was shot at and, yeah. uh, 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 went to get after uh, uh, after talking to him on the phone. That's I, that's probably where I come out on it. Um, uh, the most interesting part of this to me is or, or, or curious part is that there hasn't been there wasn't like a more investigation or we haven't learned more about like Ron's death. Yeah, it, it is so fucking bizarre. The, the circumstances around his death, you know, he, not a drinker. He was drunk. Knows the area like the back of his hand ran, you know, ran fast enough into a well, tree didn't to see die. the corner coming kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And and most importantly, 
fired off a shot. Like, like what? what? <laughs> Woo, I'm going to go get him now. Now, if he has been drunk, Boom. he hasn't been drunk while driving, missed a corner and shot into the distance for fun. I mean, that's just <laughs> for fun. <laughs> that's just a Saturday. I mean, that's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. <laughs> I, I that's just so bizarre to me. I don't I, that, like that part of the story more than anything else just uh, is is. And the thing is, Fresh Hour wasn't even implicated in that. Nobody was because it wasn't considered a crime. Right. right. So I don't I don't have all the answers. Uh, I don't think that that Fresh Hour was was uh, guilty. Uh, I and I I do think that whoever was is, you know, uh, was never caught for those crimes. I agree. I, I, I don't have a ton to add. Like you said, it feels like uh, a crime of opportunity on top of a crime of opportunity kind of situation. And that is for better or worse, you know, unfortunately for worse, I'm sure how a lot of this stuff happens. And it is unfortunate that more people didn't look into it or take it seriously. And as far as how much Paul had to do, I don't know. Um, as far as with it, um, you know, and if it was absolutely zero, that is terrible, terrible and terrifying. And my, my gut kind of tells me for whatever reason that he didn't uh, have a lot to do with it. So, yeah. And the, the lesson here, Seabot, is that words hurt. Okay. Just remember that. Love words hurt. hurts. Love scars. <laughs> oh, also, also remember, dear listener, if you're planning on emailing Seabot, <laughs> that his words hurt. It's true. That is true. I mean, careful what you wish. Uh, speaking of wishing, let us know your wishes. Uh, how can they let us know their wishes and their thoughts on this week's topic? Go to Zuckerberg.com, uh, better known as Facebook.com, and search Hysteria Nation. It is our Facebook discussion group where we are spied on by Zuckerberg, but also talk about all this stuff and a whole yeah, lot more. Well, we're spied on by him there. We're remote viewed by the government. It just happens. You know, what are you going to do? I, I mean, we, at this point, the NSA is listening to everything anyway through all of our various devices. So who cares? <laughs> That's right. Facebook.com slash hysteria 51 pod. That is also our Facebook page. You can follow us there. Patreon, patreon.com slash hysteria 51. We get mad blurry hysteria episodes every two weeks. Lots of Radio dramas, up all nights, all sorts of goodies. Uh, this week, uh, I've we've been lacking on this, but I do want to do a real quick shout out to uh, Philip Wood, one of our newest members on Patreon, and we're going to do a lot more shout outs from Patreon. But Philip, thank you so much for doing it. That's how it really helps us out so much. And if you want to hear yourself on the show, the long Hell yes, overdue Phillip. voicemails. We're starting them back up, 773-669-7277. Again, 773-669-7277. So if you don't want to be Philip Wood, you want to hear your name on the show, well, you should be Philip Wood because, you know, pay us, motherfucker. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> you want to hear your voice on the show. John, let's hear a voicemail. Let's do it. Hi, Hysteria 51. I go by Mask Llama, and I uh, am... Who doesn't? <laughs> calling because it seems silly responding to an episode from about three years ago, but wanted to talk no. about your satanic panic and D&D One of my episode. favorite episodes. And yeah, I had my own satanic panic experience. Mom always grew up telling me that Dungeons & Dragons was evil. So when I went to college, a Christian college, by the way, and found a group of people playing Dungeons & Dragons, imagine my surprise to find that it was basically people just sitting around playing pretend to a bunch of rules. And so I joined their group and had some fun when mom it's found true. out. Her exact it's so, I mean, not it's lame, but it's, it's just so a game, game, right? So I'd explain to mom that, yes, it is just a game of people <laughs> playing pretend to a bunch of rules. And as far as talking about D&D being useful in helping children, you should check out a game called No Thank You Evil, which is designed by Monty Cook and Shana Germain. Germain? I can't quite remember, sorry. But sounds like not today, yeah. Satan. It is designed to be D and D for kids. My niece plays it. She thinks it's a lot of fun. All right, that's all I've got to share. Have a good day, y'all. Oh. I wish I would have, nice. have grown up playing D and D. I didn't. And John, it would have been something that we would have, I think, loved or, or gravitated to it if we had had uh, that. We just uh, it wasn't on our it was on our radar. We knew of it. We just didn't do it back then. Yeah, I mean we. <laughs> We were trying to get laid funny. I, way too early and I, drink. I, 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 we were so much cooler than we were. Like, I would play now. Yeah, I don't right. know 18-year-old John That's what Wood. I'm saying. Like, I don't, uh, you know, I'd have, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We, we, we were out, like, 
breaking shit and Doing drinking too much. Things. Yeah, John and I, believe <laughs> yeah. it or not, we weren't the best of children, but we never got in trouble, which probably made us even worse. <laughs> anyway, uh, good grades cover up a lot of shit, yeah. man. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, good good grades, <laughs> and they don't ever look your way. That's my bad. They don't. They just don't. Um. Yeah. Let's do another one. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, my name is Thomas. Just uh, calling in to let y'all in on a theory I had for y'all's oh wrong, Madon ghost ship theories. The one theory that y'all didn't take on in the show was the possibility of an H2S gas leak. Maybe it was an old whaling ship. And all the decaying material turned into H2S. On the boat. Now, it is a heavy gas, so it would go to the lowest point of the ship and highly flammable. Y'all have a good day, and fuck you, Seabot. I, I don't know anything about that. That's an interesting take, though. You know, it's I, I, I guess there's a connection from old whaling. You know what I mean? But um, that was the uh, for, if you couldn't uh, if you didn't hear, he's talking about the Oring Madan, the, the, the ghost. Yeah, that ship was uh, that we, we had uh, Jerry Polly from uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories on that one, I believe. Right. Was it? Oh, wow. Good memory. I think so. <laughs> I am lucky to remember if we've actually covered a topic or not. People huh. are like, hey, have you done? I'm like, well, it's a good question. I know we've talked about it. Because we've talked about every topic. Right, well, people send me like, what's coming out next week? And I'm like, we're like five episodes beyond that. I have no clue. You know what I mean? I don't mean that rude. I always have to look because <laughs> usually we're, you know, we try to plan 10 at a time. Now, that doesn't always happen, but that's our, our plans. And then you get. Yeah, the e- we're recording the Easter episode tomorrow. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, if 2020 hadn't taken a shit on us, we probably would be way ahead. Like, but hey, you know, that's true. You that's true. Uh, one more. Let's do one more. All right. Hi, my name is Stephanie Lynn. Um, I'm part of a group Sounded on Facebook, fake. but I listen to your podcast all the time. And I wanted to let you know that I almost never learn anything. You guys are crazy, <laughs> stupid, stupid, crazy, whichever way you, I love it. It's just, it's fun to listen to, and sometimes I don't understand what you're talking about, but it's still funny. And I just, I just want to say, I love your show. Just, just simply well, because it's so much fun. Not really the content. Not that I don't like the content. I'm just saying I really think you guys are fun. Anyway, um, thanks and keep up the good work. Bye. She was so much more apologetic than she yeah, needed to no, be. Yeah, no, I know it was like, funny. It was funny. Like, oh, oh, honey, you're right. We, we're horrible. We, but we know it. I mean, like, think about it. I always say when we get every now and then we get very serious messages from people. They always start with, you know, like, like very formal. And it goes on to tell us how, how, how big of idiots we are because we didn't consider the fact that black eyed children are actually this very specific type of deal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like it's always some inane thing. It's not, you know, was there a second gunman on the grassy knoll? Like it's always some inane weird, uh, but that we are just fucking complete morons for not having considered. they are the loudest squeaky wheel because they will uh, make sure that they tell everyone on every forum and everywhere that we did something that we didn't, you know, mention that. I I always say the same thing to them. Like, amen. You're the literally the show begins with we tell everybody. The truth is out there, but you won't find it here. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's no one's opinion but our own. <laughs> well, and, and conspiracy. Well, that's true. And he, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not taking ownership of the shit that he true. says. It's all I'm saying. Uh, again, 773-669-7277. Again, that's 773-669-7277. John and I were going to wait to do these in person like we always do. And uh, that's been months. So we gave up and we're doing them remote. Now, and it worked fine, but we were just holding off to do them in person because we thought that would be a fun idea. And 2020 got the best of us. <laughs> as far as that yeah, goes. it did. And it did. And, and speaking of 2020 getting the best of us, Brent, um, in a week or two, um, we will be releasing our best of 2020 episode. And that is not going to not a best of episode where you're going to have to listen to clips of old episodes. But rather, is the best of or our, our wrap up episode? Should we say it that way? Our wrap up. That's probably everything a way I to do say is yeah, the best I've ever wrap. done because I'm constantly bettering myself, and so that seems like a weird bar to bring up when everyone just knows that. Well, I don't better myself because how can you better the best? Oh, 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 darling. <laughs> <laughs> Cheese muffins? Oh, Santa. Mark? 
I've been waiting for you. Sorry. Oh, it is the season for, for that horse shit. Anyway, uh, yeah, we're going to have a fun little wrap up. So if you guys, here's your, your uh, if you got a clip or you got a, a segment or something like that that you want to talk about or us to bring up or talk about, let us know. And if you got timestamps, fucking more power to you let us know those because yeah yeah also if you have a, any story a 40 in stories that actually were from this year specifically yeah, let us know that you want us to uh to cover we'll let us something know that we don't do which is um uh, that's not exactly what's going to be but it'll be a little bit more of a ramble cast yeah yeah that's uh something that we don't do on here too often so it'll be fun so that's something to look forward well, to we do a ramble cast we just happen to throw interspersed facts yeah. in between <laughs> interspersed facts which yeah that's <laughs> that's usually my uh that's my defense in court uh usually is what i try for anyway i don't know i don't know <laughs> we got robots to tend to uh, with that yeah, said all right john, let's go i've been brent i've been john he's been conspiracy bot stay woke meet sex it was terrible it was just terrible i'll never get over it as long as i live that's it for another edition of hysteria 51 John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite. Join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.